Good evening. Oh, it's good to be with you. I'm Pastor Mike. I'm one of your pastors here at Hope, and uh, hopefully I can keep these microphones straight in my head and what and working. Um, we are excited to be back here on Rally Week on Rally Wednesday to all the kids that are uh, going off to, uh, to, to, to Hope Kids. Thank you for worshiping with us in the very beginning here. And thank you for moms, dads, aunts, uncles, grandmas and grandpas that have brought your children here because we exist to encourage all people to know the love of Christ. And it's one of those ways that we um, love doing that. A, a few other things that are going on here. We're starting a, a, a new sermon series called The Culture of Hope. What we're doing is we're taking a look at 13 core values, 14 core values that we share and that we practice, and we're taking a look at their scriptural foundation. Tonight, I want to talk to you about the core value of soul business. Okay, soul business. Before I go too much further, let's have a word of prayer with one another. God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, you call us to be your own. Heavenly Father, help us to respond to that call. Help us to believe and trust in you. And may by the power of your Holy Spirit, may you change our lives so we might be more like Christ in this world and that we might be found in you for eternity. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's people said, in my office, you'll often hear weeping. You'll hear people crying. You'll often feel a lot of grief as there is silence therein. And sometimes just within my office, it can get to be this kind of this awful, terrible feeling. And so I let other people come on in. In all seriousness, I get to be privileged to walk with people in some of the most dark times of their life. Times of grief when they're saying goodbye to a loved one. Um, times of deep sorrow if there's a divorce going on. Whatever it might be, it is my privilege to get a chance to, to walk with people in that period of time. Um, and if I've had to be there as well. I, I've been there as a pastor, but I've also been there as the, the parishioner as, as well. Um, th there was a time in my life when it felt like I got run over by the ecclesiastical bodies that be. And, and as I got run over, um, there was no one left to help, and I, I felt like I was left to die out on a rural road. And I did a pretty good job of, of keeping cool for a long period of, of time, for, for months, in fact. I, I, I bottled it up, and I was cool-headed, and I was well-behaved, and I, I spoke the Eighth command. I kept the Eighth Commandment really, really well. And the Eighth Commandment is basically this, that we shall not bear false witness against thy neighbor. And the explanation of that for those of you that I went through confirmation, you know that that means to speak as best as you possibly can about the people who are around you, okay? Speaking the best of those around. I did a really good job of that until one day. All of a sudden, I just kind of popped a gasket. Not in anger, not in an angry fashion, I should say. 
but in a way that just showed that there's a chink in the armor and that there was some deep pain lying underneath. And so I went to go see a pastor. And in that period of time, I did some counseling sessions with this particular pastor, and it was incredibly helpful. And the thing there in doing my own soul business, what I had to do in that particular thing was admit my own brokenness. I had to admit my own brokenness and share that part of this was is my own sin-filled pride and shame leaking through. We all live in a beautiful and yet broken world. And not only do we share in the beauty of this world, but we share in the brokenness of it as well. And Holy Scripture speaks to this truth. In 1 John, it, it, it speaks to this in a very deep and meaningful way to me. These are words that have been ingrained within my own very heart and soul. These are words that bring me hope and they bring me life. And I want to share them with you on this day and go deep. One, if we begin taking a look at the text, and um, I didn't warn the tech guys about this, but if we can get them up on the screen, that'd be really helpful for everybody else here as well. It begins like this. This message we have heard from him and we declare to you. This message is, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. John here is really excited to share the gospel. He's really excited to share what the gospel can do in a person's life. That's what he really wants to do. It, it, it's like this, you know. I'll come home and my wife will say, you'll never guess what I heard today. And it's not gossip, but she's just really excited to say something. You'll never guess what I have to share with you on this day. Um, my youngest kid, he, he's getting to this point when he can school me in just about everything. And, and one of the things that he can really school me in is, is telling a story. And he always begins most of his stories like this. Well, you see. <laughs> well, you see... Dad, today we saw a lot of grasshoppers in the yard. So James, that's his brother, James and I, we got our bows. Now just for those of you that need to, just don't freak out, they have the suction cups on them, okay? We got our bows and, and, and we shot about 60 of them. <laughs> that's my kid. He's so excited to share the stories of his day that he just wants to share it with you. That's exactly what's going on here in John's letter to the people that he first wrote it to and to you and me as well. This is the message we have heard from him and we declare to you. And this is the first statement that he begins with. God is light. God is light. This is the good news. If you've been in a really difficult time in your life, and all of a sudden things begin to turn around, they start looking better. What's one of those phrases that you'll begin to use? It says, I'm seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. I'm not yet there, but I'm beginning to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And some of you negative Nellies go, yeah, but I bet it's the train coming down the other side of the tunnel, isn't it? 
Okay, this isn't being a negative Nelly at all. This, this isn't. This is saying that God is light, and when we see that light, it's a, it's a means of deliverance. This light is life. Light is love. This is where John is really going. I'm seeing the light. There's a there's a song about that of year of way yesteryear. God is light. I see the light at the end of the tunnel. God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. So John's now setting up a a huge dialectic, um, something where there is very much light and there's darkness. And the light is good and the darkness is evil. And, and for those of you that understand that, 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 that metaphor, you begin to understand. You know what it is to walk in darkness. You know that darkness, that, that nighttime can bring all sorts of fear into our particular lives. You see, light does this. It gives us the ability to see. It sheds light on all the things that are out there. Darkness conceals we're not even sure what, what it is out there. People who do nefarious things, where do they go? The dark web. This is the language that we have. It sticks with us today. That there is God and he is light and in him there is no darkness, there is no evil at all. That's where we're going. That's where we're going on this particular thing. It continues on like this. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, if we claim to have fellowship with this God who is light and yet we continue to walk in darkness, we lie. And we do not live out the truth. How many of you in your lives, as you've been uh, living in a relationship with people, maybe somebody told you a lie, and maybe it wasn't a big lie. Maybe it was one of your kids, they told you a little, small, gray lie, a, a white lie, something like that, but all of a sudden it changed the very dynamics of your relationship. It can happen just like that. Because when you begin to do that, you realize that they're trying to conceal something from you, even if it's just something really, really small. That's what's going on here. If we begin to walk in that darkness, if we begin to lie to God, if we begin to not reveal the truth about who we are, all of a sudden that relationship that we have with God is found to be false. This is getting to be hard. And all of a sudden you said, but Pastor Mikey, you said that these words were words of good news. They really are. But good news, first of all, it affirms what is wrong. It affirms the pain that we have within our lives. If we walk in darkness, you see, you see when I begin to read this verse, when I read this particular verse, this is what I also begin to understand. It, it says that it's beginning to say this, that that light, that light that you see in God, it will bring change to your life. It can bring change to your life. The light and the goodness, the forgiveness, the love, the mercy of God, the cross of Jesus Christ, it will bring change to your life. No, we will never be perfect on this side of heaven. We will not be perfect, but it will bring about a palpable, a real change in how we live out our daily life. Years ago, 
I was out in the badlands of, of North Dakota, and um, I, I wasn't on a trail. I was really just kind of walking through the badlands uh, do, doing my thing, and, and it got dark out there. And, and fortunately, I had electronic maps. I had GPS systems. I had compass. I, I was able to get out. I was. I really wasn't in any danger, but it took me about two hours. The next day, I had to do that same journey, but I got to do it in the middle of the day. I got to do it during the light. It took me half as long. When we walk in the light, that is a life-giving walk. When we walk in the darkness, all of a sudden it becomes much more difficult. And here in this particular text, it basically says we are not walking in a way of life. The difference Jesus makes in our lives is real. It not only changes our path and our journey with God, but what it does is it begins to change our path and our journey with the people who are around us. Folks, this is the soul business that we're encouraging to you, to, for you to do. Soul business is basically this, living a confessional life. Living a confessional life that leads to a Christ-like change. Let me read the last bit of the verses to you. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. In other words, we're still living in that lie. We're still living in that darkness. But if we confess our sins, these are the words that are emblazoned upon my heart. For those of you that have lived in the Lutheran tradition for a long time, you know that we take these words in the traditional services and, and we speak them every week. It's part of living that confessional life. It's a part of doing that soul business. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and he will forgive us our sins. If we simply bring about the honesty of saying to God, God, I am a sinner. If we simply say to God, God, I am broken. If we simply say to God, God, I need your help within my life, God changes it. We're simply honest and saying, God, I'm stuck. I'm in bondage to sin. God, who is faithful and just, will forgive us. He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I want you to hear that as an absolute word of promise. That when we take time to confess, God changes us and forgives us. If we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. His word is not in us. As I try my very best to live out a confessional life, a life that is soul business, a life that leads to a Christ-like change, these are four of the things that I find very helpful, or these are four of the things that I find how it helps me. First is, it helps me value and trust in God's forgiveness, Living out these words and hearing these words on a very regular basis helps me believe even more deeply in God's forgiveness for me. That's what I'm hoping and praying for you as well. That as you live a confessional life, you will grow into God's forgiveness. It's already given to you, but that you'll trust it even more deeply. Two, it teaches me empathy for the people who are around me. When I admit that I am a sinner, when I admit that I have shortcomings, it makes seeing other people, and I'm not pointing to any particular one of you, but living with other people, 
It makes me have much more empathy for the difficulties that they face in life. And, two, and third, it changes my behavior so I, that I can be a better reflection of Jesus. Again, I'm not going to be perfect at this. None of us ever will be until the day of Jesus. But it changes our behavior so that we can be a better reflection of Jesus and encourage people to know his love. And lastly, what living a confessional life helps me do is it helps me heal from the hurt that's either been inflicted upon me or from the hurt that I've afflicted upon other people. Let me share you a story of soul business between two sisters. Their names were Mary and Martha. Now, we, we pick up their story in the Gospel of Luke, but their story is kind of all over the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I imagine that this particular part of the story happens after their brother Lazarus has been raised from the dead. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made, and she came to him and she asked, Lord, don't you care that my, what my sister has left me to do and work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha. The Lord answered, you are worried and you're upset about many things, but few things are needed and indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. In this story, Mary, sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his teaching, and she was the one doing her soul business. And Martha was distracted by everything else. Friend of mine, um, he's in one of my Bible studies. Steve is his name. You're going to hear from Steve in just a little bit. Um, there was a day, um, Steve is involved, um, his job deals with logistics and is very impacted by logistics. And um, a little while back, you probably heard about a boat that got stuck in the Suez Canal. And this disrupted his life to the nth degree. During that period of time, I remember Steve walking into Bible study and his cell phone was blowing up. And this is one of the things that he did. He shut it off. He shut it off because he knew he needed the next 45, 50 minutes of being in the word of God to make it through the rest of the day and the rest of the week. I want you to hear from Steve about how Steve goes about and does his soul business and how it changed his life. I saw in certain people things that, you know, they just had like a glow to them or a look to them that I knew they were getting more out of coming to church than I was. And, so what I did was, it just so happened that we are doing uh, the 40 days of purpose at the time, and I thought, uh, I, I, I 
bought the book and it was the first time I had ever did anything other than just showing up to a sermon. Uh, that was a great book and I got a lot out of it and then joined a small group and happened to be run by you and uh, it just, I guess, I got more out of it and I started to, uh, I guess, understand more of what I was hearing on Sunday. I just dove in and started reading the Bible. It turned from a story kind of more into maybe instructional where I started to get uh, more out of it and I wasn't just reading a story, I was actually getting a lesson out. It was like, it was a slow process. And, you know, I, I think one thing when, you know, as you read the Bible more and you start looking at uh, uh, at Christ as your Lord and your Savior, but it also says in the Bible that he's a teacher and a counselor. You know, like a counselor, like if I have problems, I go to him and I pray. And I think a couple things happened that I became more mature in my faith. And by that, uh, I mean that I would pray more and I my prayer changed from like asking for things you know to more uh, asking for understanding and strength and knowledge and I think what ends up happening is is when you do all that uh, you start thinking of other people more than yourself you know I read a long time ago and I think I probably shared this with you that C.S. Lewis one time said uh, the hardest thing for a man to do is give his life to Christ. And it's also the easiest thing that he can do. And so, uh, you know, I, I just feel that that somehow by turning more of my life over to Christ and, and, and by that, I mean, I just pray more and read more and watch and just watch people around me. And I know the people are there that are connected and have given their life to Christ. They just seem like they're, much more at ease and at peace with themselves and I think when that happens I think that it affects your relationships with everybody. When it comes to our soul business we all have to start or maybe it's a matter of restarting for you. John Ortberg reflecting on a relationship that he a mentorship relationship that he had with Dallas Willard wrote these words in a book called Soul Keeping. He says, "Your soul's a river and you are its keeper." Your soul is a river and you are its keeper. If you want it to be clean and be a place of life, you need to take care of it. You need to do your soul business. I find some very important things to do with that. And one is to connect, two is to grow, and three is to serve. To connect to other Christian people, to connect to a community, to not do this all by yourself. Three, grow in your knowledge of God's holy word. And three, find a way to bless this world through the work of your hands and your volunteering heart. As you folks were walking in, I, I hoped you saw a bunch of tables that had our ministry cores um, available, um, youth, um, um, hope care, adults, um, hospitality and worship. 
We have people who would love to help answer your questions. Because for us to do our soul business, it's really important for us to go and find ways where we can connect with one another, where we can grow in God's holy word with one another, and we can serve our community, our congregation, and the world so that we can encourage all people to know the love of Christ. Amen. Let's have a time of prayer. God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you and I praise you for who you are. Help us to be your people in this world, connecting, growing, and serving. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people said,